The story of the resurrection continues. You know that very well. And there are passages of scripture that are just too good not to read. We uh, turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And in fact, this is a passage of scripture that in what is called the lectionary, it is assigned to this Sunday every year, even though there is a set of scriptures that we sometimes move through over a three-year period. This is a scripture that is attached to this day for the church universal, the church all the way around the world, loves to read this story on this day. Let's listen as it is read once again. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. To call him Doubting Thomas, I believe, is a bit of a bad rap. But that's how we've come to know him, isn't it? Doubting Thomas. He was nothing more than a realist. He did not want to go somewhere with his thinking that was not proven ground. He had witnessed the very execution of his dearest friend, Lord and Savior. He was not going to be easily convinced that that death had not taken place or would be reversed. Caravaggio, the Italian artist that painted this, did so at the beginning of the 17th century. 
And it is one of my favorite paintings of all time. Do you see Thomas? <laughs> this painting is called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It is the unwillingness to believe, the inability to believe what he is actually seeing. He sticks not his finger to the edge, but actually lifts up the skin where the spear had made the hole in Jesus' side. It is gruesome, I admit, but isn't it fascinating? And can't you imagine Thomas needing the proof to be able to pull at the skin of Jesus to know that it's real? We forget the strength of Thomas's devotion to Jesus. All along, he was a disciple that was completely given over to who Jesus was and what he was about. In fact, even when things began to get very, very dangerous and Jesus had been chased out of Jerusalem with the message, we are going to stone you. Jesus wasn't fleeing for fear. But in order to preserve his death at the right moment, he left town and only was coaxed back by the death of a very close friend of his who lived in Bethany. You remember the story of Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha? These sisters that loved Jesus and would often let him stay in their house when he came to town. Bethany was just across, just a short distance from Jerusalem. When word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and then that he had died, all of the disciples looked at Jesus because they knew the implications of their returning to Jerusalem at that point. They were scared that they would all die. You know what Thomas said? Thomas said, let us go back and die. Is that a doubting man? <laughs> can, can you be more devoted than to say, I'm willing to die for you at this point. And so cut Thomas some slack here, okay? Cut him some slack. And if you hear somebody say, doubting Thomas, say, I want to take issue with that terminology. Cut him some slack because he certainly was a person that was motivated by his convictions. And at the same time that you're cutting Thomas some slack, let me ask you to do this. Cut yourself some slack too, okay? Cut yourself some slack. All of the disciples, including Thomas, were doubters until they saw Jesus up close and personal. Even when those who were earliest to visit the tomb came out and began to spread the message, they did not want to believe. 
There was not a single one of them that said, welcome back, Jesus. We knew you would make it. Not a single one of them said that. Not a single one of them looked around to Jesus and said, well, why did it take you so long? They were absolutely overwhelmed by the events. They were convinced that Jesus was dead. Now, there's some people that are living today, I believe, that are still looking for evidence to help them toward belief. Every year about this time, a few weeks before Easter, usually is when it happens, you'll see something come out in the news about the Shroud of Turin. Y'all know about this, don't you? New evidence, they say, new evidence that proves it beyond the shadow of a doubt that that this was the cloth that lay upon Jesus' body when he was in the tomb and it bears the imprint of his resurrection when he rose. Now, it's interesting to me that nowhere in Scripture do we find Jesus saying, hey, now hold on to that because you'll need it one day. You're going to need that cloth to prove that I have been resurrected from the dead. Did Jesus ever say that? Jesus did not need that kind of proof. What is the proof that Jesus needs? Jesus needs the proof in us that he is raised from the dead. Does that depend on evidence? Not that kind of evidence, it doesn't. The story about Thomas is put into the scripture not for Thomas's sake, to give him a better reputation in the end. It's put there by John for us, for you and I. Because we need it. We need it. We need to hear that even in the earliest days, the disciples struggled with this. This hit them at the very core of their being. And they did have doubts. Let me tell you, one of the most meaningful things that has happened to me since I've been here at Pittman Park has been that someone has become a member of this church and in the process of their becoming a member, they admitted to me, they said, you know, I've really got some questions about all of this. You know what I said to them? I said, good. <laughs> good. Because all of us do. In fact, if we pretend that we do not, we are not living in the real world. We are not even being honest with ourselves. You and I, don't come to be people of doubt. We simply are people of doubt. We come to be people of hope. We come to be filled with faith. But the reality is that you and I have questions at times. The interesting thing is that Jesus places his blessings on the likes of us. How could he do that how could he place his blessings on the likes of us considering who we are with our doubts with this confusion that we have in our spirits at times 
But he is not deterred by the fact that we are people in process. He knew that Peter was in process. He knew that James and John were in process. He knew that Thomas was in process. You see, this is what the church gets so wrong. We expect people to just be instantaneously and forever blessed with the eradication of doubt from their lives. That is not, in my opinion, what salvation is. In fact, I believe that you and I are called to be thinkers, theologians. We all are theologians thinking about God and letting him work his salvation. This is critical for us to get right. That daily God works his salvation in us, helping us with those times in our lives when doubt has grasped hold of us and we can do nothing else than just question. And this is where the church comes in good because the church gets us past those moments when we're at our very weakest. I've always been fascinated by the story that's told of Jesus. When he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember that he had been there and uh, Peter, James, and John were there with him, and they saw Jesus' clothes turn this brilliant color of white, whiter than anyone could ever bleach them on earth, the Scripture says. When he comes back down from the mountain, one of the things that occurs is that he understands that there is this little bit of a uneasiness, this controversy that's going on on the street. And he says, what's going on here? And this man comes to Jesus and says, I've brought my son to be healed to have a demon cast out of him, this spirit cast out of him, but your disciples were not able to do that. And he began to explain to Jesus that this spirit would make him fall down in convulsions, even toss him into the fire, into the water if he was close to some water at times. And it was a very frightful thing, as if it was almost trying to kill him. And Jesus said, bring him to me. And when he came to Jesus, he in fact fell down in convulsions, was foaming at the mouth. It was terrible. And Jesus cast this spirit out of the child. But what happened before that is what is so incredible. The father of this child was asked by Jesus, do you believe? And the man had the good sense to be honest with Jesus, better than you and I have the good sense to be honest with Jesus at times. This man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Y'all remember this story? It's incredible. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean? <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, this is something that, these don't go together in the same thought. Either you believe or you don't believe. That's what people try to function on in our world. Either you believe or you don't believe. This man believed, but he needed Jesus' help in order to believe the way that Jesus needed him to believe now think on this just a little bit didn't Thomas need Jesus' help 
That's exactly what was going on. Is that Jesus was giving Thomas an opportunity to be this person filled to overflowing with faith. Does that mean that Thomas never had a moment of doubt again in his life? No, it does not. But does it mean that it changed everything for Thomas? And this is where it's critical. It changed everything. I believe in that moment it changed everything for Thomas, for him to say, my Lord and my God, I cannot believe this, but I do believe it. It changed everything for Thomas in that moment. In fact, church tradition tells us that from that moment, Thomas took off, not to leave being a disciple, but to carry the word of the good news. He went over to the area, which is now called Iraq, that area between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, and then he moved down into the area of what is now called Iran, that area of Syria, and then he was winding his way, and you know where he finally ended up? He finally ended up in India. He traveled from the west coast of India to the east coast. And you know what happened on the east coast of India? Right near Chennai. Right near Chennai. You know what happened to Thomas there? Somebody took a spear and ran him through and killed him. In fact, by the time that this was written in our Bibles, Thomas had long been dead. He had given his ten Years, maybe 12 years of his life to Jesus. And he died a man who was completely convinced in a risen Lord. When the Portuguese settlers came to India, and landed on the west coast. They came there to share the good news of Christ. And they were astounded <laughs> that those persons that greeted him, greeted them in India, had already been Christian for 15 centuries. Is that incredible? incredible story what Thomas did was to believe that truly all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed and Jesus will meet you there Jesus in fact said if you have the faith of a mustard seed if you believe and yet you don't yet believe really if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains with that. You just speak to the mountain and it will be moved. I don't know about moving mountains, but I can tell you that this idea of being saved in Jesus, look at me here. This is real stuff. This is critically important stuff to get right. You may have been troubling yourself with the idea that your faith could never rise to the point where you could actually say, yes, I do believe. Be like the man 
who said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Incredible things will happen because Jesus will make it happen. The theologian Paul Tillich used to say, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Think on that. And think on this one. Frederick Beekner used to say, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. I like that one, don't you? <laughs> the ants in the pants of faith. Here, just one more. Samuel Butler used to say, life is the art of drawing sufficient conclusions on the basis of insufficient evidence. Where are you with your faith today? I mean, this is one week out from Easter now. I mean, anybody, just about anybody, could believe in the resurrection on Easter Sunday. I mean, things are hopping. Every cheer is filled. you got people standing up. The preachers are on fire. I mean, who can't believe in that environment? But things begin to get real, don't they, again after Easter? The question is, where are you now? Where are we now? Do we believe? Can we be filled with faith even in this moment? Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And Jesus did many other signs. They're not all recorded in this book. But the things that are written here are written so that we, you and I, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so I ask you, do you believe? Are you filled with this faith today? Let's bow our heads for just a moment of prayer. Gracious Lord, help us. We come as your humble people. We come before you, giving to you our hearts and praying that you would bless us with a deep sense of faith. Gracious Lord, assist us in those moments in which we doubt. Help us not to be discouraged by that doubt, but let it become a part of making our faith even stronger. And Father, make yourself real. We reach out to experience the power of your good news revealed in Christ today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.